Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On this week's episode, we have Ben, Lachlan, Jasmine and Justin. This is where we find out what really killed the dinosaurs. There's some dinosaurs that are hidden really close to home. And this week we go into depths on the hygiene hypothesis and ways in which unusual research is actually being done to investigate this rather contentious area of medical science. And now we launch into our launch pad. I'd like to know that dinosaurs were wiped out millions of years ago and that we're safe from the dangers that they pose to our lives and lives. But if you're fishing in some of the unusual waters, of course, in Australia and South Africa and various other countries, you might find a living fossil deep in the ocean. Now, many of these types of fish have been found before. These, And when we say a living fossil, we mean fish that, or types of sea creatures that can chase their ancestry all the way back to the age of the dinosaurs. In fact, over 80 million years ago. And these are basically have existed since then with very little change. So, For want of a better word, they are dinosaurs that effectively survived over 100 million years of Earth's history. And one of them had been recently uncovered or fished up in Lakes Entrance area in Victoria, Australia. So just around the corner from where we record the podcast. And this is one of them. What they actually found in Lakes Entrance was the frilled shark. And okay, to give you a bit of context when I say a frilled shark... You may think something cute and cuddly, but in fact it's something with 300 teeth in over 25 rows, so row after row of teeth. And it's, you know, really, really long. It looks kind of like an eel, and basically looks like your typical drawing of a sea monster, those kind of serpenty shaped sea monsters. Massive, frilly long fins on the side, which gives it its name, the frilled shark. Um, it's absolutely stunning and terrifying to look at if you've actually seen one in action. And generally they're found at depths of over 700 metres, which is, you know, usually pretty deep um, because they're a deep sea type creature, which is one of the reasons why they've survived so long. But, you know, we have pulled up these types of monstrosities uh, before, and they're a great reminder of how creatures can survive uh, mass extinctions and what we think have wiped out um, the dinosaurs. In fact, some of them, like the frilled shark, have been living on in peace, deep in the ocean below a kilometre down, swimming around and chomping down on their prey. So maybe we're not as safe from dinosaurs as we once were. shark managed to survive the extinction of the dinosaurs by living deep under the water and, and surviving on, on its own. But we've also been coming to question what exactly made the dinosaurs go extinct in the first place and how that extinction even came about. Now, a lot of research, particularly from the University of Edinburgh in the UK, have been pointing out that, look, it was really a perfect storm of scenarios that knocked out the dinosaurs. Yes, Obviously, the asteroid impact had a role to play in that, but one of the big reasons why that was so difficult for the dinosaurs is when you examined the fossil record, you could see that there wasn't very much diversity in the type of life that was around. In fact, the climate had been radically changing due to the massive amounts of volcanoes and 
there'd been a couple of other squeezes in the biological development of different creatures, which meant that there wasn't a lot of different types of plants and smaller creatures. And the problem with this means is that when something happens, there wasn't a lot of diversity. So one part of the food source is knocked out, it's harder for the dinosaurs to live and half them to survive. And this is in fact what they're hypothesizing was the caused the dinosaurs to go extinct. It wasn't the fact that the asteroid hit the Earth, but rather the fact that the asteroid hit the Earth right at the time when the populations were already at their weakest point to cope with any disruption or change. There's also another piece of interesting science that has been recently done that calls into question the very nature of this mass extinction through an asteroid impact. We can't dispute the fact that the impact of an asteroid on Earth had a massive disruption on the population of dinosaurs and caused them to die out. We can see the evidence in our fossils. But a recent study being out of the University of Edinburgh, again, have shown that, okay, well, whilst we can see in the fossil records the dinosaurs would, had died out and that, that gave rise to the asteroid impact theory, one of the other things that they didn't consider in that is the sample size of where those fossils were found. In fact, most of those fossils used for that study were found in North America, which makes sense because the asteroid impact site itself is in North America. Now, at the time, obviously, in the late Cretaceous period, North America was part of a massive continent, so these descriptions are kind of irrelevant. But uh, the area that we're talking about that, so near, geographically near to where the asteroid impact happened, of course we're going to see large amounts of fossils dying out. If we looked across the rest of Europe, there's actually many, many years, millions of years in fact, of lots of dinosaur records on hand, which is goes to show, just goes to show that dinosaurs still thrived and flourished long after the asteroid impact. We kind of just assume that because all the dinosaurs we saw in the North America region had died off, it must have been a global phenomenon. But some recent studies have actually shown that no, the dinosaurs did continue to live on for a bit. After that, mostly in Europe and other areas. So it's not really enough to suggest that the asteroid impact alone was what killed off the dinosaurs. It's in fact more likely a combination of many different causes, which have all led to a perfect storm, which gradually wiped them out from the entire planet. An asteroid impact did not happen in a day and then kill the dinosaurs by the end of the next week. It was a long, steady process over millions of years. And mammals evolved to take their place. And that's why we're here today, where we are. Well, that and the frilled shark, that's still swimming around in the deep oceans. So, as we're talking about, uh, as Jasmine was alluding to, there are things that you do that, you know, you wash your hands with all these soaps, right? And what you're actually doing there is you're abrasing a layer that makes it easier for them to grow. Yeah. Much in the same way as if you, if you remove people's exposure to any types of other things that they would experience to, to build up their immune system, all of a sudden when something does come along and does have to interact with their immune system, their immune system can't work. I like those stories of those guys who never wash, and they're just covered in dirt. There, there's a guy they found in, China somewhere recently. Oh, I'm and sure there's a lot of things. They're, they're just covered in so many other bacteria that if something new comes, like, well, I'm, well my body's got they, it. They took him to the hospital and, like, showered him. He just died in a week because he just lost all this protection he had from being covered in dirt. And, like, <laughs> I find like, that kind of funny. Well, yeah, like, it's they, probably they not just, accurately well, medical. They, they just stabilised his... Yeah, I think it's stabilising. It's probably more the same. But I'm not an actual chemist, biologist. I'm an engineer. But my understanding is, like, the exposure to something do we actually build up and do we ourselves build up an improved immunity by having these people exposed to something? Yes, but that doesn't go away. No, no, I know that's fine. Cool. But, but I'm saying, like, in the longer term, if you remove people's exposure to that. Okay, well, that's a really big um, rubbing point in immunology. Mm. 
And that's the idea of um, the hygiene hypothesis, which um, has been shattered almost completely. Okay. Um, so the idea was that our body has to fight diseases to be healthy, and that if you don't fight diseases, then you start fighting yourself. And that's why autoimmune diseases, um, psoriasis, asthma, um, and the allergy. allergy. Yeah, and all that, like nearly every allergy. Uh, and that's why it's so prevalent. Um, unfortunately, um, I think this is a general comment in science. They try to make things really um, binary or very like yes. segmented and rigid. Yeah, they want the correct answer. Exactly. Know, but in public health, it's even more important. If I'm telling someone to do something, I need to know which is the right thing to tell them, this or that, and this, what you're getting to, is it's probably not that clear a choice? It's not that clear a choice. And also there's a lot more involved in it. Um it's also how many modulatory things you're taking in in your diet. It's how many um, bacterial infections you have versus what your gut bacteria is like um, versus how many, like, parasites you have. Like, there's a, there are a lot of beneficial parasites. Um, a guy that originally sort of proved the hygiene hypothesis, he did it by um, treating, like, a lung disease um, through getting hookworm through his feet. And then he, he walks through... He walks barefoot through latrines in post-war areas... He had a respiratory infection, um, and it was alleviated after he infected himself with hookworm. How? Um, so um, parasites are amazing in that the the way they survive is through immuno immunomodulatory effects. So they suppress the immune system, they suppress the allergic reaction, and that's how they do what they do. Um, by basically secreting a lot of immunological mediators. So a lot of the same signals that our body uses, they hijack those pathways and just tell it, everything's fine. Don't want no- nothing to see here. No, they knock out all the guards <laughs> and they disable the alarm. And basically. it's like Han Solo in the control room of the Death Star. Everything's fine here. How are you? Exactly. And the body's like, yeah, I don't see any threats. Cool. And How'd it get over the wall? Oh, sorry, it was, um, it was a, um, some sort of respiratory infection. That specific case, um, which has been an example of the flagship. Yes, um, it's that he had um, asthma, which there's actually heaps and heaps of different types of asthma. We yeah. just call it asthma. Yeah. This type of asthma um, was an autoimmune sort of one, more than an allergy sort of one. So it's the body fighting its own cells and recognizing it as a threat. Yeah. So the hookworms come in through the feet. And they spread. <laughs> right, they spread through, and they introduce this this response. They kill, well, they not they kill, but they suppress it. And so they instead suppress, of yeah. instead of the um, the immune system going, hang on, I'm going to fight my own lungs because I think there's something wrong with them, which is causing the asthma. Yes, the hooks from presence make the cells, the, the the immune system go, oh, there's nothing wrong with my lungs. I'm going to stop attacking it. Yeah, You're just full of hookworms, but your lungs aren't being attacked. <laughs> exactly, and um, people actually do that to treat. Like there are some sort of alternative treatments that do work, but I don't recommend them, but they do work. Um, you can swallow eggs of different parasites, and there's a lot of cross-talk between the gut and the lungs, so anything you eat, the bacteria will eventually end up in the lungs. We've just found out, like, my lab found that out this year. That's how new that information is. But yeah, people didn't know why it worked, and that's why. It's because there's actually transport there's mechanisms. Cross, yeah. And one of the really interesting parts about this audience is it shows the need for clinical trials to explore this, because what you're talking about, this this whole concept is contested because we haven't done a lot of peer-reviewed science on it. And the whole purpose of science is that we do a process of study, 
have results, confirm the results, publish them. Other people read them and go, okay, can I replicate exactly what's being seen there? And can I get the same results? If I don't, why? If I do, okay, can somebody else do that? If we all agree, then hey, thing proven to an extent. That's how science works. Until someone comes along and disproves it. Exactly. Or disproves a part of it. Exactly, and we get a better theory that explains it. So this is an area of active research, but I think it's something that we, we seriously need to look into. Okay, so my name's Garth Bradbeer. Uh, I'm a fourth-year mechanical engineering student at RMIT University in Melbourne. Yeah, and I've recently picked up an internship designing and building robots with Marita Chen for the company Tumar Robotics. I guess my major interests or started, well, in science and engineering started with YSA, and that was amazing. And I definitely wouldn't have chosen a, um, well, a career in science if it hadn't been for the exposure I got through that. And I say that honestly, I'm not just talking it up. Um, passions and interests? I don't know, I suppose, I, I suppose promoting science and, like, um, in the community is a great thing and that's something I'm definitely interested in, but mostly for just, um, the world, the good things it does for people. Yeah, I'm at the point in mechanical engineering where I've found that this is, mechanical engineering is very much about very specific areas such as finite elements analysis or, I suppose, designing suspension systems for sports cars or, um, <laughs> I suppose there's a little bit of control systems in, in mechanical engineering, but that's not really a big area of mechanical engineering. Um, but yeah, it's not really, I suppose, building robots or, I suppose, product design in, in that sense. Like, you don't get too much of an, um, a view into the world of, I suppose, industrial design or even manufacturing to an extent that you would have, I suppose, a while ago. I mean, um, one interesting thing that's happened to me while I've been working my internship is I've been working with a woman named Diane Bodie, who, um, from what I've, <laughs> from what she's said, seems to be a, a fairly, fairly prominent engineer. She's quite old. Um, but yeah, she's been telling me about how engineering's changed over the years and how, I, well, I suppose she had a bit of an unconventional introduction to engineering, but she literally would go up to a factory and work with people there to get an idea of what things were, and that was how she started her career in engineering for a very hands-on trading level. And I suppose that's something I'd be very interested in doing now and getting away from a lot of the academic... Um, world of science and engineering which I've been exposed to through uni and getting a bit more of a feel for what the where these things actually fit into the world nowadays. Hi, I'm Anique McLennan and I'm studying aerospace engineering and science. So I'm particularly interested in aerospace engineering and mathematical sciences. Um, I guess I prefer the technical sort of analysis and problem-solving side of science. Um, well, I've been really enjoying aerodynamics um, last semester. That was a really fun subject for me to do. And that was looking at all sorts of um, fluids and how, like, basically how air flows around objects in space. So, yeah. What areas of mathematics? You sort of mentioned that, but what areas um, of mathematics? Everything. I just, I basically just want to be able to solve anything that I can. So more practical mathematics? Um, 
Yes, and no. Like, practical mathematics is... Engineering. Is engineering. Um, but I, I quite like theoretical as well. Uh, I've done quite a bit of science communication. I've done... Um, I've staffed a variety of... Um, I've staffed two Monash Tessies and uh, I've been on the leadership team uh, last year and this year. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I've also done quite a bit of science outreach programs, so I've helped out at Melbourne Uni running um, egg drop activities a couple of times. Uh, just uh, in December, I went to uh, Dookie Campus, Melbourne, Melbourne Uni's Dookie Campus. Um, they were having a brand new Tessie down there, so uh, I went down there with a couple of other YSA members to run egg drop relay quiz and just help out. It was a lot of fun doing agricultural sciences and learning something completely different to what I do in my course. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. This week we've talked about the extinction of the dinosaurs and the dinosaurs that has managed to escape extinction, plus we found out a bit more about the hygiene hypothesis and some of the very odd things they've done to research. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.